Dante Florenzi, eccolo il cross tagliato di testa che gol! 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 È il magnifico! Il magnifico! Il magnifico rettore! Entertainment capital of the world. What a strike! What a goal! What a comeback! What a game! There are no words to describe it! It's the TC Martin Show. Léger hors jeu, mais cette fois-ci, il n'y en a pas pour Marco Reus. Très fort devant le but! Oh, Prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. El largo pifio. Messi la tiene. Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. Gol! 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 Cerebro! Cerebro! Cerebro Iniesta! The doctor is now in. Is that where we're at? Wednesday, middle of work week, hump day. Glad to have everyone with us as we do it for you. Just like this, each and every day, Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m., of course. Today, another jam-packed show coming your way. Talk a lot of college football on tap today. College football playoff. Rankings are out. Our next-to-last rankings. Because the final rankings will be coming out on Sunday. And then that will determine who... Our final four is going to be in the college football playoff. We will discuss this at length with two of our top college football analysts, the former player Trevor Maddox, the 15-time Emmy Award winner with ESPN College Football. A little bit later on the show, Sam Gordon will join us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal as we talk to Sam regarding the UNLV coaching situation, which we've talked about a lot here the last couple days, but we'll continue to talk about that. Eric Harper has been on the road the last couple days, obviously interviewing candidates. So we'll get uh, Sam Gordon's opinion on that and uh, discuss more about which way UNLV will go after dismissing Marcus Arroyo as their head coach on Monday. So a lot to do, a lot to get to, and a lot to talk about uh, today. Plus, we go across the pond with our good friend, Paul Buckpower Stewart. Oh, excuse me. I should not say Paul Buckpower Stewart because we will not be talking any Tampa Bay Buccaneers today. But of course, Paul also our soccer guru, our soccer insider from across the pond. Uh, so we will dive into the World Cup with him today. Let's kick it off with our good friend across the pond, Paul Stryker Stewart. What is going on, my friend? A very good afternoon to you, TC. Yes, just as I predicted last week, England and Team USA are in the Sweet 16. <laughs> they are. See, you, like me, said the Sweet 16 there, even though I don't know if that's the proper vernacular. But I'm going to get into more soccer language here with you in just a, a, a little bit, too, because, uh, you know, a lot of people who do not follow soccer, they're, they're saying, well, why do they say this? Why do they say that? So, you know, soccer has an entire language by itself. So we're going to get to that in a little uh, in a, a little bit my friend but uh glad to have you with us great to talk not only you know Tampa Bay Buccaneers football with you in the NFL but of course uh the World Cup uh, give me your biggest takeaways so far of the group stages that we've seen 
what do we have noticed? I mean, we talked last week about the number of shocks that were happening with the so-called smaller countries upsetting the, the bigger ones, the more established teams. That's There haven't been quite so many of those over the last few days, although Tunisia beating France today may be regarded as one of them. I think what we're seeing now is the, the cream coming to the top the class countries starting to play like the class countries they are. England looked really, really good in their group, and they're going to be favoured. Netherlands looked really good. And to be honest, Team USA did what they had to do. They've got through to the knockout stages. they now got to take on Netherlands. They are going to be serious underdogs. If they win that game, it's going to be like Appalachian State beating Michigan or even Nunchuck being buying dinner for us all. It's that kind of shock. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, Speaking of the USA, like you said, they advanced facing the Netherlands on Saturday. What do you think here, Paul? I mean, give, give us a prediction as we look, look forward to Saturday. I, I, can't, I just cannot see the USA winning that. You don't get so many shock results in the knockout stage. Because as we talked about when we did the first preview two weeks ago, and then we talked about last week, teams in the group stages, they play not to lose. They don't want to get themselves out of position in the first couple of games. So they play very defensively, very cagely. You know when you have a best-of-seven series and you're happy to come away with a split from the first two because, you know, you don't want to show your hand. Now it's getting serious, and now the good teams will start playing. The Netherlands are a really, really good team, and I think this would be the end of the road for Team USA. But I know what I found, you know, from watching, the, they've been showing clips of watching parties at bars all over America, not just in Vegas, not on the Strip. The American public are really really getting into it because they're supporting their country, which, of course, they don't normally do in sports. And it's fantastic to see. And I hope they do get a result against the Netherlands. I just cannot see it happening realistically. And the thing about the Netherlands, I mean, they're not a, a high-octane team that scores a whole bunch of goals. I see this being a very low-scoring game, and it wouldn't surprise me if we if this does even go into extra time. Heck, it may even go into penalty kicks. And to me, this thing has like one one nil or maybe two one written all over it. Yeah, I think you're right. So just to explain to people now, whereas you can have a draw in the group rounds, there's no such thing in the knockout stages. You play the 90 minutes, then you play 30 minutes of extra time. If it's still level, it's a penalty shootout. And it's a very harsh way to lose. What you do find are some of the lesser teams in the past have almost played for extra time and penalties because they figure they've got more chance in that situation than in open play. So, that, you know, they really, the phrase where you, you wanted some English, some and football phrases, the one they use is called parking the bus, which means playing as many defenders as you can in front of the goal, as in putting a bus in front of the goal and just saying, come on then, you can't get through us, we'll try and beat you on the breakaway. Parking the bus, I will add that one, my friend. That's good, that's good. That's uh, <laughs> I'm more used to no parking on the dance floor by Midnight Star. Are you familiar with that one? I, I prefer no parking in the red zone. The white zone is for unloading only. <laughs> Very nice, my friend. All right. So England has two nice victories. Uh, blasted Iran in the opener 6-2. Uh, defeated Wales 3-0 the other day. But, Paul, they had that disappointing draw against the USA. I want to get your thoughts about that because a totally different performance that we saw from England in that match compared to the other two. 
I think what it was, TC, is they knew they, they'd done the hard work. They got the goals against Iran. They were in a good position. The aim was don't lose to, to the USA. And they, they played a very defensive, cagey game. And they did get a hard time from some of the, from the English press, which I thought was really undeserved. Now, Gareth Southgate, the England manager, he's taken England to the semi-finals in the 2018 World Cup and the final of Euros 21. He knows what he's doing. And they came out against Wales. They did what they had to do and they, they dominated. They really did dominate the game. One of the best stories that came out of the, the game is, for those of you who know, who know your geography, Wales and England are neighbours. They're part of the United Kingdom. There isn't really a border. It's so you just drive across and there's a line saying you're now in Wales. Well, there's a little village called Lanwinnock, which is on the border of England and Wales. And they have two pubs. One is on the Welsh side. One is on the English side. So this for this game, they completely decorated the Welsh side pub supporting Wales, the English side pub supporting England, and they pretty much said you can only go in one if you cheer for that country. All really good humoured, all really good fun. The, the best quote came from, from the owner of the Welsh pub afterwards. He said, I can't believe it. It's our first World Cup in 60 years and we get knocked out by the English. It doesn't get any worse than that for us. <laughs> All right. So you got Senegal now. They have advanced to the round of 16. Uh, give us your take on England-Senegal and that match will take place on Sunday. Yeah, now this is Sunday evening, which I'm, I'm really Sunday seven o'clock UK time, which means I'm really glad the Bucks are playing on the Monday night football for once, mm -hmm. so I don't have to prioritise which one to watch. Now, my knowledge of Senegal is about my knowledge of nuclear fission, um, as in the square root of nothing. Um, I know they're the African champions; they've done pretty well so far. This is one of those games. It, it reminds me back in 1990 when England played Cameroon, and everyone went in there thinking, "Okay, this is going to be." walk over we're England they're, they're Cameroon from Africa they can't be really good and they came so close to beating England so it's one of those games where England will be favoured Senegal have got nothing to lose they're going to come out and just think this is this is our World Cup final if we can overturn England it'll be a great game there will be millions of millions of people watching again but we'll let you know right now you've got to say England are favourites to to not just win that but, but progress a lot further in the in the knockout stages now Paul we have have seen this before where England has bowed out to lesser competition in World Cups uh, in the past. Do, if this does happen, a loss to Senegal, how would the, the British people take this? Oh God, it would be, it would be the end of the world. <laughs> I mean, you, you could release any kind of political story you wanted for the next three days and no one would take any notice of it because there would be the, the tabloid press have got a, a reputation, of course, for castigating people. David Beckham got sent off in a World Cup game and the next day they were doing pictures of they, they had a dartboard you could take out of the paper with David Beckham's face on it and you could throw darts at it in your office. That, that was how bad they regarded it. So it really would be the end of the sporting world for England if they were to lose to Senegal. Let's not go there. The, the nearest way I could describe it was could, would be, could you imagine the Ohio State newspapers on Sunday morning after what Michigan did to them last Saturday? <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Paul Stewart joins us talking a little World Cup here. All right, my friend, I'm watching this today. And just talk about the craziness that occurs on the the last match of the group stages here, where 
you have the games in the groups playing simultaneously. So obviously there are, there are four teams in each group and they have both games going at the same time because so the other team does not know what, what is happening in the, in the other, in the other game and you're vying for, for valuable points here to see who's going to advance on. So you got France and Tunisia, which you mentioned. Okay. Strangest thing I've probably ever seen. And I'm going to need you to help me out on this one because we had a 20 second time span while I'm watching this. I'm flipping back and forth because on the other game going in this group, we had Australia, uh, playing as well, right? We had, uh, Australia playing and uh, against Denmark. Now, basically, France was, was through. They were, they were, they were going to win, but France did not start all of their, their guys, but then they got a little nervous and they made some substitutions. And then, so we see France now trying to play for their lives here in Tunisia, got an early goal and it was one nil. So again, the game didn't mean anything to France, but it meant everything to Tunisia and Australia and Denmark and they're fighting here. And so. As we're seeing that Denmark is going to lose this game to Australia, we see, uh, at least on the American broadcast on Fox, that there were the Tunisian players clinging to a, a one-goal lead, and they're on the sideline, the players looking at their cell phones and watching the Australia-Denmark match to see how that's going to conclude because, obviously, that has bearing whether they're going to go through or not because they needed Denmark to win. So the final whistle blows there. Australia's jumping up and down. Uh, remember how elated they were going back, you know, a, a month or so ago when they got into the World Cup. And now they are advancing to the round of 16. And so Tunisia was a little bit dejected. And at that point in time, France scores a goal. Within the 20 seconds of that match ending, these guys on their cell phones watching on the sideline, and then France gets the equalizer, 1-1, and then Tunisia, the fans, everyone, they have their heads hanging, and I'm looking at this, I go, wow, uh, you know, what, what a shame here. And I hung with it for, you know, a couple of minutes after that. I turned off the telly, got onto my business, an hour later, I find out, wait a minute, that goal didn't count. It, it's it's one nothing Tunisia final, but it didn't matter. Then I see a referee, I see a replay, the referee, you know, doing the old, let's go look at the, the, the TV routine when they do the old square TV, the old school. Paul, explain to me what happened. How long did this take? Because, again, I was watching this thing after they, they tied it up here. Uh, what? How long afterwards did they go to the VTR here, VAR, whatever you want to call it, and and determine it was no goal? Okay, well, I need to go back a step, and the reason why these final games are played at the same time goes back to 1982 World Cup when. East Germany and West Germany, they were two separate countries then, they found out that if East Germany won their last game against West Germany 1-0, both teams would go through. So East Germany miraculously scored after around 15 minutes. The two teams then spent the next 75 minutes just passing the ball around to each other. There were no shots on goal. 
it was a complete and utter fix. And I think it was Tunisia or Algeria, one of those countries, got knocked out because of it. And it was a complete fix. Um, and they, FIFA realised the one good thing FIFA has done in 40 years, this can't happen. We need to play all the games at the same time in the final group round. Now, the NFL does this. They have games kicking off. Major League Baseball has all the games on the final day starting at the same time. So, yes, you, you've got obviously cell phones now. So you are aware of what is going on in the other game. And you know the situation. And we'll come to what Germany need to do in a minute. So, yeah, going back to what happened today, we were in injury time playing the, extra, the added on few minutes and France equalised, which would have put Tunisia out. So suddenly they're in complete despair. But, of course, we now have VAR, the replay situation, just like you have replay in baseball and football and hockey. And it came, the situation was, it was around two minutes worth of delay while they looked at the play, just like they do in the NFL. There was a foul. France's goal was disallowed. It meant Tunisia won 1-0. And, and suddenly, you know, the, the situation the situation is back again. And then, then there's, you know, it, it's an amazing thing that sport can happen like this. You know, it, as it turned out, it, it didn't help them because Australia still won and got through. But it really is just how the sport can go from elation to despair to elation on, on the turn of a goal, on the turn of a decision. It's what sport is all about. But here's the thing, though. It, it's like, okay, with the offsides, I understand that. Usually, you can tell pretty much, you know, with, with the naked eye, you know, if, if that's going to be a goal or disallowed or a penalty or whatever. But now it just seems like we're going more and more to the replay and we're relying more on the replay. And like you mentioned, just like in every other sports, we're seeing it with football. We're seeing it more with baseball. Now we're even seeing it in the NBA as well, too. You mentioned hockey uh, also, but in this situation, just in this group's stages of this World Cup, we've seen more and more goals uh, disallowed. And I know from the American side, the American announcers today, they were befuddled on on how several of these got uh, either overturned or disallowed. Like, are, are you kidding me? And it just seems like they are really nitpicking. Now, granted, everybody wants to have the proper call, but I think for soccer fans or even the casual soccer enthusiasts, this is so much different because soccer is still so archaic. I mean, we're still holding up the little, the board, like the Monopoly board or, or, or the battleship board on the side for the substitutions instead of putting it up on the scoreboard where everybody could see it or whatever. But it just, there's still some archaic stuff here. Instead of stopping the clock or running, or running backwards, it still runs forward. And again, you just never know. Okay. Oh, there's six minutes of injury time. Now there's eight minutes of injury time. We're still playing past eight minutes. So there are still all of these question marks that it really is not definitive and I think this replay VAR system whatever the heck you want to call it is just making this even more confusing as they're dissecting this now or undissecting it I totally agree with you. Now, the problem with instant replay in soccer is it's very subjective. Now, do you remember a couple of years ago, the NFL allowed you to challenge for pass interference? And you none of the decisions were ever overturned because it was so difficult to see one way or the other. It was always call stood. In baseball, it's either safe or out. That's quite easy. You know, when you review a play in tennis, it's either on the line or it isn't. Hockey offside's pretty easily to see. Yes, you get a goalie interference, which is 
is sometimes a bit more subjective. But soccer, was it a foul? Was it offside? Was he being played onside? Was It's so difficult. They are making it more and more complicated for themselves. Mm. And it's causing frustration. We've had it in the Premier League over here. And I know a good friend of mine, Rob Southall-Brown, who follows Liverpool, he's been getting really frustrated with some of the decisions that have been made in the Premier League because what looks to be a goal one week is suddenly not a goal next week. And you can't have consistency in decisions because every play is different. It's the same as if, you know, charging in, in the NBA or a flop. You know, what could be a, what could look a foul in one game might not be a foul in another one. It, and the referees are looking at it differently. So, yes, FIFA and soccer in general, everyone thought VAR was going to be the answer to everything. It's actually made things worse. And unfortunately, this World Cup is proving it. And the neutral fan or the more general fan is like quite rightly looking and going, what the heck is going on? <laughs> this is stupid. And you're right, TC. It is stupid. It is. It is. Again, the France guy takes another flop today in the box. And clearly, I mean, it wasn't no flop was called, no penalty, was, you know, just you know, begging for the calls. I mean, that's what really irritates uh, the American soccer fans. They go, are you kidding me? I mean, we, I mean, we saw enough of that with Vladi Divots back in the day in the, in, in NBA. We don't need to see this. Uh, and again, you know, with, with soccer players, you know, faking injuries and, and laying down. And nothing, nothing kills me more, Paul, than seeing the goalie, you know, have a save in the waning moments. And what does he do? He drops down face first like he's going to a foxhole, like it's World War II or something. Yep. You know, it's like, oh, wait, get up. What are you doing? You made the save. Nowhere, no one is around you. And then you want to dribble the ball a few times and then you want to put it down and then you want to take 30 seconds to kick the dang thing. And there's nothing that anybody can do about this, but I, it's the gamesmanship. And see, it's, it's stuff like yep. that that, that is irritating, uh, for even a soccer enthusiast or purist like I am. And I think you feel the same way. Totally agree with you. This is why I say I prefer the American sports. Yes, you know, and and I, I watched it, I watched the Lightning play the Boston first thing this morning. The game that was played late last night, and there was a situation where a player ran at someone else, and immediately four other guys dive in to defend him, and, and the whole all hell breaks loose behind the net. Hockey players don't take prisoners. If you feign an injury there, well, you're going to find out about it next time you come on the ice, and quite rightly too. Unfortunately, it's been part of soccer for years and years and years, and it will never change. And I have to say, one of your favorite German players, Jürgen Klinsmann, back in the day, was an absolute master at it. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. All right, the soccer language, which we talked about. Okay, so... People will hear the term table, uh, translation. That means standings. All right. Uh, the, 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 the the ball has pace. We're hearing a lot. The ball has pace, which basically means, oh, there's, there's some good speed on that ball, but that cracks me up. Uh, uh, level the score. Translation means it's, you know, to tie. The score is tied. It's, it's level. But here's the one that got me today. And I think this is the first time I've heard this one, Paul. I heard, uh, a commentator say, uh, intervention. I'm going intervention. What is, is someone, someone got a major, uh, addiction here and they need to bring the family and friends in. <laughs> They're having an intervention. And I think what this commentator was trying to say was, well, the defender was coming back to make a tackle. That was a tremendous intervention. What is this? Please explain this to me. Explain, explain to our American public what. what this is. All the years I commentated on the radio on a soccer, I never used that one. Yeah. The only time I would have used intervention would have been if 
they if there'd been a foul on a play and someone had let the referee know we've seen something on replay. You know, as in the NHL, if, if the puck has crossed the line and they suddenly let them know, hang on, there's been a goal, that would be what I would describe as an intervention. The only other way would be almost like a defender intercepting a pass. You know, a, a player going down, crossing the ball in from the wing and a defender stepping in the way to stop a scoring threat. That would be another use of intervention. But yeah, that, that's a very bad one. Let's, let's pass that one. I've taught you parking the bus to today tc that's the best one you're gonna have today <laughs> that's good he is paul striker stewart there you go. or paul pitch power stewart uh talk a little world cup here my friend okay so you've got the the paul stewart uh, soccer pool which uh i spent many many hours you know uh, uh picking these these games here i think i'm about five points uh you know off the lead like you said what we've got eight games remaining i, I think i have an outside shot but here's the big question paul stewart here's what i want to know okay these are the group games you're having this you know everyone in your contest pick the group games here okay i can hardly wait for the knockout bracket when do we get the knockout bracket uh, we don't actually usually do one. We just concentrate wait, wait, on the stages. Wait, 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 wait. Time out. Rewind. Stand <laughs> what are you talking about? So you have a, a contest for a pool for the group stages. But, I mean, that's like having an NCAA tournament pool where, okay, we're going to stop when we get to the Sweet 16. It, it's over. Paul Stewart's not over. We have to have a winner. Who predicts the winner? The winners, the meaningful games. These aren't meaningful games. These are ham and egg games here. I might have to put something together. What I would like to point out, TC, is that you went 0 for 4 today. Oh, you were the only person not to <laughs> score a point. And the person who scored the most today with 3 out of 4 is someone else who appears on this show and resides in Lutz in Florida and wished me to make mention of it on the show. Okay. Well, there it is. I'm going to blame Numchuck because Numchuck made my picks for me today. <laughs> I, I think it's his fault. You know, exactly. He, he didn't know the difference between Tunisia and Mexico. I think that was the problem, you know? Well, well, I mean, the big game for you tomorrow is Germany, of course, have to win yes. against Costa Rica to get through. If they win, then they need Spain to beat Japan. But if that game is a draw, then Germany have to win by two clear goals. Now, I still think they will do it. The Germans have not looked a good team at all. Um, you know, again, we're talking about a superpower not playing up to its strengths. It could well be the Germans. You never know. They could suddenly turn it around and look really good. But at the moment, they may well get through to the knockout stages. I don't fancy their chances of getting much further. Right now, the, the best teams I've seen out there, Brazil look really good. Portugal look really good. I have to say England have looked good. France have when they've been playing properly, forget today. And I hate to say this, the Netherlands look very good as well. <laughs> All right. We are looking for, okay. I, I am demanding, insisting that, I mean, again, for you not to even think about having the, to the conclusion of this, the, the knockout bracket. I mean, Paul, you got to take the scores. I mean, if you want to do a separate one, that's fine, but you got, it, it's got to just be a continuation. I mean, it's, it's all the World Cup here. I mean, these teams aren't stopped playing after, after the group stages. Your pool cannot stop after the group stages. I'm really shocked about this, my friend. 
It's the quick turnaround is the problem, TC, is trying to get everyone to do it. I mean, March Madness, you have a good week, week and a half. What are you talking about? Good. We got three days. We have three days for that. We, we turn that March Madness pool around. I got faith in you, my friend, all right? Everybody that's in the pool, you let them know. Okay, boom. <laughs> it, there it is. Come Friday, come Saturday. You got 24 hours to make your picks. You're it. We have to have a, a true winner. This is not a true winner of the group stage. You know that. That's right. We will have to see. Unfortunately, as I say, the final group games take place on Friday and then the knockout stages start for some of the teams already. I want that letter. I want that Paul Stewart, that that letter going out, that daily uh, message board material. (laughs) Put it out there right now. You you get these ham and eggers ready. I mean, there it is. Jeez. I don't know, Paul. I'm going to have to take over here. I think you're. I think you're clutching at straws trying to catch up, TC. Because you're. You, I mean, last week you were telling me you were well positioned on the rails within striking distance of the leaders. And I was. Um, I, I, I was. I was one point out. Yeah. Hamstring now. Yeah. Thank you very much for bringing up today on today's show that I went over for. I didn't hear you mention you know three four days ago when I swept the board. I didn't hear that, but that's okay. That's fine, my friend. You did. I gave you the full credit. I did. If I'd been on the show that day, I would have happily uh, publicized it for you. You know that. I'm sure you did yourself. There you go. Okay. Unlike TJ Reeves, who's who's picking teams uh, un- underneath uh, his donuts, uh, you know, over there in, in Florida. You know, who knows how he's picking it's his team? It's actually teams. his two daughters of who are making the selections uh, for uh, him. Uh, I will admit that. The twins, of course. All right, brother. Appreciate it, uh, as always. Uh, we'll continue to uh, follow this, and we'll continue to talk with you about the NFL and the Buccaneers as well, too. Appreciate you joining us. We'll let you go get some sleep. Thank you very much. Take care, everybody. There he is. Paul Stewart. Usually he is Paul Buck Power Stewart, but for these segments, he is Paul Stryker Stewart. All right, we come back. We go to our own striker, our guy in the trenches on the football side. Trevor Maddich joins us next. We talk college football playoff and more. Hey, this is Robert De Niro, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. It's good. College football playoff implications. Oh, yes. This weekend, we're going to find out a lot. And then Sunday, Selection Sunday. Looking forward to it. And a guy who is... Probably losing all kinds of sleep is our next guest. And, of course, our college football guru, the one and only Trevor Maddich from ESPN. Trev, what is going on, my friend? T.C. Martin, you don't know how much money you cost me. Uh-oh. What did I do now, my friend? You played that ad for the B-52s. <laughs> And now I'm going to have to take my wife there. I'm going to have to figure out how to get there and take my wife to see the B-52s. That sounds like an amazing show. So I'm telling you what. a fortune, and it's your fault because they're your sponsor. No, but here's the deal. I, I'm going to save you money, my friend. You just have to get here because I'm going to have you and the lovely Dana there at the concert. I'm, give, I'm getting you tickets. You get here. You're going to be watching the B-52s up close and personal. You, you, you can do that? Yeah. <laughs> I just did. Uh, uh, hey, call in and win. Rock. Hey, Trevor Maddich, he's our winner. There it is. You rock. That's right. I'll be the ninth caller. Yeah. And the eighth and the seventh and the sixth. Hey, that I, is, uh, man, I just, I, you know, I haven't been to a show in Las Vegas forever, man. That would be just super cool. And you are, you are Mr. Las Vegas. Hey, uh, uh, the B-52s uh, start their residency in May here, and they'll be here May 5th through the 13th. So you pick uh, pick one of those dates out, uh, you know, a weekend, a week, whenever you want to come, my friend, uh, you'll be taken care of, no problem. And uh, it's funny, yeah, the tickets actually go on sale 
to the general public on Saturday, 7 a.m. So make sure you uh, go check that out. You can go to tcmartinshow.com or, of course, livenation.com. And uh, the B-52s at the Venetian. Great theater. Uh, great experience. And like Elton John, Trevor, this is the B-52s farewell tour. So this is your last shot. Oh, wow. We went and saw, we went and saw the Kiss farewell tour uh, at uh, Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. And it was un real there it is just absolutely unreal and so yeah that's fantastic tc who, who would have known that trevor maddich was a rock lobster guy that you know oh. who, who who would have known that right that he was a no, love man, shack type of guy of college yeah <laughs> i know yeah love shack more than rock lobster but of course. uh of course. but the thing is i mean th- those songs are joyful that that's what i love about them you know i mean especially with love shack but they're, they're joyful they celebrate music they celebrate life I just, I just love the celebration in the music. It's just wonderful. There it is. Trevor Manich and the B-52s. I got to love it. All right, my friend. College football rankings. The selection Sunday is coming. It's Georgia. It's Michigan. It's TCU all undefeated. And then number four is USC. And on the outside looking in, Ohio State and Alabama. All right, Trevor. So when we look at this, my first question is, well, I'm going to make a statement first before I ask you the question. How's this? Michigan 45, Ohio State 23. Michigan outscored outscored Ohio State 21 to 3 in the fourth quarter last Saturday. 35 to 3 in the second half. The beatdown in Columbus. How much does this loss hurt Ohio State's chances of getting into the playoff? Well, they now need help above them. I mean, it was crushing. Uh, crushing. If they, if they don't get one of the teams above them lose in their conference championship game, then Ohio State doesn't have a chance to make it in. Because keep in mind that the committee uses conference championship as a tiebreaker at the end of it all if, to separate teams that they couldn't separate otherwise. And so right now, before that tiebreaker is applied, USC, TCU, Michigan, and Georgia are ahead of Ohio State. And so even without that benefit, they're ahead. If they all four win, then they're ahead with the extra of the the conference championship. Now, there's still an issue for Ohio State. If Georgia, for example, loses a, a close one to LSU, would the committee really drop them all the way out of the top four? And there's some debate that they may not. And so TCU at number three. If they lose a tight one to Kansas State, there's some people saying that they still might get that four spot. And so Ohio State right now is is in some trouble, not as much as Alabama, but that loss to Michigan was devastating in, in a whole lot of ways. Okay, I'm glad you brought up Alabama because I'm a proponent of Alabama here. And again, they have played some very good football as of late. Bryce Young, like you and I have talked about, has been fantastic. Heck, he should be the back-to-back Heisman Trophy winner now. Alabama and Ohio State are both sitting idle. They're not in conference championship games, so they don't have the opportunity to win another game to try to move up here. Let's just say, Trevor, for the sake of of, of conversation here, that Utah beats USC, which could happen, by the way, as we know. All right, Who is the better candidate to get in, full body of work, everything, the eye test, whatever you want, Alabama or Ohio State to get in the playoff? I think from a standpoint of the, the spreadsheet, you know, the, the, the almighty spreadsheet, uh, which is strength of record, strength of schedule, game dominance, who you beat, who you lost to, all that other stuff, right? To a lot of people worship at the altar of the almighty spreadsheet. And that would 
probably favor Ohio State because Ohio State has the best win. Their win is over Penn State, ranked at number eight right now. Alabama's best win, according to the current rankings, is over Mississippi State, who's ranked number 24. Plus the fact that Ohio State only has one loss and Alabama has two. But Alabama's two losses were on the road against teams that were that are currently ranked in the top 14, Tennessee at 7 and LSU at 14, and lost both of those games on the road by a, a, a walk-off play at the end, right. a walk-off field goal by Tennessee and a walk-off two-point conversion by LSU. And there's another thing that the committee, I think, you know, if they're paying attention to nuance, I thought they'd pay a little more attention to when it came comes down to Alabama versus Ohio State, and that is the injury to Bryce Young. Bryce Young missed all of one game, part of another, and came back and played really well, but he missed a month of practice. And in that month of practice, the young receivers around him, the young players around him, didn't get to work with him. So their development kind of stopped for a month, and it showed with lots of penalties, lots of drop passes, all the rest of it. Bryce Young comes back, and now Alabama, I think, is playing better than Ohio State. And that's one of the things that the, the committee looks at as well. Who's playing best now? That's one of the reasons that Tennessee is one behind Alabama, even though Tennessee and Alabama both have two losses and Tennessee beat them head-to-head. You know, Tennessee got just completely blistered by South Carolina a couple of weeks ago, and they lost their starting quarterback for the remainder of the season in that game, Hendon Hooker, to a knee injury. And so the committee will look at those two and say, yeah, Tennessee beat Alabama head-to-head, but right now Alabama's the better team. They're playing better, and uh, the quarterback situation makes a difference for Tennessee. And so you kind of learn what the committee values here. So for Ohio State and Alabama, I think the committee values the Buckeyes win over current number eight Penn State, and they value that they only have one loss instead of two. And so Alabama's in trouble because now there's nothing else that could possibly happen for Bama at number six to leapfrog Ohio State. For the tide to get into the playoff, they would need chaos above. So two teams to lose in the top four, and then Alabama might make it in, but they will remain behind Ohio State. See, that's why you and I need to be in this room, you know, on on Saturday and Sunday there, Trevor, because here's the thing. I mean, I'm not sold that Ohio State has the tougher schedule and saying that Penn State, that's their best win. You and I both know that the Big Ten is is down this year. I mean, outside of Ohio State and Michigan, you can maybe say it's downright embarrassing, especially the way Wisconsin uh, has played, Michigan State, and, and the rest of them. And Alabama is still in the SEC. Sure, they don't have a whole bunch of teams, you know, in in the in the top eight or ten. But you know, again, LSU, uh, Tennessee, Alabama, you're right there, and those close losses that Alabama had on the road. I think that has something needs to be said about that. But more importantly, that loss by Ohio State. I don't care if that's their only loss. To lose as a nine-point favorite to get drill-pressed, I'll use it again, I know you love that, drill-pressed on your home field to get outscored 35-3 to and give up five touchdowns on your home field against your arch-rival in the second half? No. Oh, that That's inexcusable. I do not want to hear the name Ohio State and college football playoff in the same sentence. I don't want to hear it. To me, Alabama is the better team. Alabama 
they 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 passed the eye test, at least for me, as better than Ohio State. And you know what? I'm going to say yep. this too. And if, if USC loses, you know, Alabama's better than USC. Even if USC has a narrow victory, I'm thinking that, that I would take Alabama over USC. Well, that goes to who's playing the best now at the there end you of the go. season. Right. Yeah, but the almighty spreadsheet, you know, we mentioned the Penn State win for the Buckeyes. We didn't mention that they also have that win over Notre Dame at number 21. Alabama's best win is number 24, Mississippi State. And Notre Dame, you know, after Notre, after they lost to Ohio State, they, they lost to Marshall, they lost to Stanford. And, uh, but Notre Dame has worked their way back up into the rankings, which also helps Ohio State in this. But you talk about that game against Michigan. And in the first half, Ohio State just, just stopped Michigan cold. I mean, I think Michigan had one yard rushing in the first half. But in the second half, all of a sudden, Donovan Edwards ripped off a 75-yard touchdown run for the Wolverines and an 85-yard touchdown run. Both of those happened because the the defense was up close to the line of scrimmage trying to stop the run. On the first one, there was only one safety back there, and he wasn't in position to stop Edwards up the right sideline. The second one, the 85-yarder, there was no safety back there, and once Edwards broke past the line of scrimmage, there was no one to stop him. Right. And so those went into the books as long touchdowns. Before that, there were three long uh, receiving touchdowns, passing touchdowns of 45 yards and up. And you look at the way that happened to the Buckeyes. The first one was Cornelius Johnson, receiver, broke a tackle on a short pass and went up the left sideline for a 69 yard touchdown. And then there was a, a really, it wasn't a busted coverage, but it was a horrifically bad coverage by the backup nickelback for Ohio State that left Johnson open again on a post route by about eight yards uh, for another long touchdown. And then the tight end got behind the, another backup defensive back uh, for another long touchdown. So that's five touchdowns for Michigan of 45 yards or more, which is unheard of. And I think the the committee, I thought, would have looked at that like you look at that, like I look at that, that, okay, that's, that tells me that you're not playing like a playoff team right now. And that the committee said, no, you are, because the almighty spreadsheet trumped that when it comes to Alabama, which I agree with you, is the better team today. All right. Trevor Mass joins us, ESPN College Football. All right, Trevor, two games I want to talk with you about. One here at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas on Friday night it is the Pac-12 championship. It's USC and Utah, and Utah has been getting it done nice and quietly here once again. Uh, people were talking, oh, USC and Oregon. Well, the Beavers took care of the Ducks last weekend. Uh, USC got by uh, Notre Dame. We saw the shootout the week before against UCLA. Seems like uh, a, a typical Lincoln-Riley team. They got tons of offense, great quarterback play, great wide receivers, but the defense in question mark here. So USC, a three-point favorite. Now, actually, money is coming in on Utah and we saw a fantastic one-point game with these two schools earlier with Utah defeating USC, uh, what, 43-42. to 42. And now we're going to do it again Friday night. Give me your take on this game and who wins this game. You know what? I, I, I may have to pick this game and I may have to take, I may have to take USC. What worries me is that Utah right now, according to ESPN's FPI football power index, has a 61% chance to win this game. I mean, it gives, it gives them, FPI gives Utah a, a big edge. But I think it's what, uh, Utah plus two and a half right now. Right. And so, I mean, for, for every reason, I mean, you would think that you would take Utah on this one. I, I think the way that USC is playing right now, 
uh, it's a hard one to pick. It's a really hard one to pick because their defense has been playing better, and it's a goofy defense because you watch them on tape and and they get lots of takeaways. They they took a lot. Of, they had a lot of them early in the season. They went through a lull. Then they've had a lot more here recently. But some of their takeaways are because guys are in the wrong place. The quarterback doesn't expect the guy to be in a certain spot because he's not supposed to be there. So he throws it there and dude's there making the wrong assignment, but he gets it, gets an interception, you know, that kind of a thing. So it's, it's kind of goofy that way. Um, but it, it's hard to, it's hard to pick this one right now. I think the edge would go to USC because as good as Cam rising has played at quarterback for Utah. Caleb Williams will likely win the Heisman. He is just <laughs> he's just on an absolute roll, and he's got more skilled players that he can get the ball to in more places that can make plays. USC is good. USC is elite when it comes to that, and USC's defense is playing better. I mean, they're just they're better than they were, um, and so I, I think that the dominance of the offense and the improvement of the defense gives USC an edge. But the fact that both FPI and the point spread favor Utah make it hard to pick USC. I have to think about this. I'll let you know uh, when we do our yeah, best bets on yeah. Friday. And what I like about Utah, again, they've been here before. They played in Vegas. They played in the Rose Bowl. They've been playing in these in these big games here, and they've got a pretty veteran laden team. They, they're well coached, as we know, but their defense is their is their calling card. Even though their offense is fantastic, Heck, they scored sixty three against Colorado last week, and I get it, it's, it's Colorado, but. And look what they did. They, they, they beat USC 43-42 already this year. They can score, but that defense, that's a top 10, top 15 defense, right, Trevor? Yeah, well, they're number one in the Pac-12. Right. If you look at, at points allowed per game, uh, they're number one. But guess who's number four? USC in fewest points allowed in the Pac-12. Utah's given up 20 points a game. USC's giving up 26 points a game. That's less than a touchdown difference. So you've got to ask yourself, uh, if the defenses are within a touchdown of each other, are is Utah's offense within a touchdown of USC's offense on a neutral field? Certainly it proved that it was in Salt Lake City when Utah won by a point. But that's that's kind of what I'm wrestling with right now in deciding how to pick this game. You got it. All right. Uh, there are some anticlimactic conference championship games, which I'm, I'm a little sad about. But, you know, the USC-Utah uh, game – Obviously has a lot of playoff implications, as does the Big 12 championship. TCU and K-State, another game that's basically under a field goal when it comes to point spread time. TCU is favored over K-State by two and a half. Break down this game for us. Who do you like in the Big 12? Uh, this one's a little bit more clear to me. Uh, I like TCU in this game. The, the Kansas State Wildcats led TCU when they played in the regular season at one point by double digits. And TCU fought their way back to win that game. And this is still a very good team uh, for Kansas State. They're, they're outstanding on defense. They have an outstanding running game. The question will be the offense, you know. And so who's going to play quarterback? You know, the, the starter has been injured, and the backup has been better than the starter in a lot of ways, although he's been inconsistent. Um, but I think that the, the defense and the running game for the Wildcats are what kept them in that game before. So what about now? Is the running game of Kansas State better than the running game of um, TCU? And the answer to that is no. They're both really, really good running games. How about the defense? Well, yeah, you could say that Kansas State's defense is better 
but you can also say that TCU's defense has been improving right before our eyes over the second half of the season. So I don't know that Kansas State has that big of an edge if you just look at the last month of the season in terms of what they're able to do on defense. So then it comes down to the differentiator for me, and that's the passing attack. And while Kansas State really is more of a one-legged stool, TCU has an elite passing attack. And I think that's where the difference in this game will be. It, it, they met, you know, like you said, going back when they uh, they played about five, six weeks ago, and uh, TCU won the game 38-28. And what stood out for me in this game is how TCU dominated the second half. They outscored K-State 21 to nothing in, in the second half, and they were able to limit them uh, – you know, uh, running the football. Uh, you know, that was a game when I think, I think that was the first game that Will Howard actually took over for Adrian Martinez and he was 13 for 22 and 25 yards. I actually personally like Will Howard better than I like Martinez because I still have the Nebraska Adrian Martinez in my brain here. But, uh, you know, Deuce Vaughn had 83 yards, uh, the running back for K State, but Keandre Miller had 153. So this is, this is a good one here. I think it's good because like you said, that game was nip and tuck until probably midway through or towards the end of the third quarter. And then TCU ran away and that game was, uh, at TCU as well, too. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a good one. I think both of those games, uh, are going to come down uh, to the wire, both USC and Utah and TCU and K State. Trevor, real quick before I let you go here, uh, obviously we've, Marcus Arroyo is no longer the head coach at UNLV. Eric Harper, you know, new AD, uh, is trying to make the right decision here. Uh, on the outside, looking from your perspective here, uh, what do you think about this UNLV coaching position? And uh, are, are there viable candidates that want to take this job considering that this program has been in the doldrums for such a long time, but you know, Vegas is a different community now. You you know, you got the Fertitta football complex. You got great facilities. You got a Legion Stadium. Quick take on this job from people on the outside looking in. Yeah, well, they say they want a a coach with with uh, head coaching experience, successful head coaching experience, yes. and yeah, they could get Brian Harson, the former Boise State coach, coach who just got let go from Auburn. Uh, then I think Harson would be a slam dunk. From that standpoint, he knows the Mountain West Conference. He's closer to recruiting centers in in UNLV than he was at Boise. And the Auburn thing was just absolutely not his fault. We can talk about that at length a different time. But if they want to go with a a guy that doesn't have head coaching experience like Harson does, Keenan McCardell, who used to play there, uh, was in the NFL as a receiver for 17 seasons. He's been an assistant for 10 years at different places. He's currently the assistant. uh, He's the wide receiver coach, so he's assistant coach at Minnesota, the Minnesota Vikings. And if he were to come back there, it would generate immense buzz and immense excitement. And I think it would draw a lot of skill players there to want to play for Coach McCardell, who can show them how to get to the NFL. And so I think either one of those two would be very good hires for different reasons. Mm-hmm. All right. Trevor Maddich, uh, you can catch him on ESPN and Sports Center on Thursday and Friday. Of course, ESPN radio, uh, with all the games right in front of him, uh, doing the marathon on Saturdays on ESPN. Trev, appreciate your brother. Great stuff as always. And of course, you will talk to, we will talk to you on Fridays. We get ready for our best bet segment. Trevor, again, uh, two and one, I believe, uh, in the college and I, what, three and oh, or is it two and one on, on, no, on two and one, two and one, two and one. So yeah, four and two last week. You continue yep. to be on fire, my friend, you know, in our best bets. Yep. Well, you do too, man. It's a good competition coming down to the wire from all of us. It's close. All right, brother. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you on Friday.
Thanks, DC. There he is, Trevor Maddich, the best, the 15-time Emmy Award winner. All right, we come back next hour. Sam Gordon is going to join us. Wrote a great column this morning in the Review Journal talking about the UNLV football situation. We'll dive into that with Sam and a whole lot more coming your way on this Wild Wednesday.